So welcome back to Blended. I am joined by another fantastic panel of guests, and today we're talking about what is potentially quite a tricky issue, and that's tokenism. Now, this is a relatively new idea. The term was only coined in the late 70s, but we're hearing it more and more as the conversations around diversity and inclusion grow. And when issues like this arise that can potentially derail the really good DEI work that so many people are doing, I think we have a responsibility to address it and get it out in the open, which is obviously one of our favorite things to do on Blended. So I want to welcome Clarcia, Jen, and Brianne, who are going to share their experiences and observations with us today. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you for having us. Wonderful to be here. All right, so let's get started with some introductions. I'm going to start with Jen because Jen has actually been on Blended before. She was on a couple of episodes ago. If you missed it, go back and check that out. So Jen, tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. Sure. Now it might be a little longer because we were talking before. Um, my <laughs> name is Dr. Jennifer Hurley. I like Jen, Dr. Jen. Uh, I am a, a, a white uh, transgender or Caucasian uh, transgender woman. I came out recently, believe it or not, in June, uh, four years ago. So it's my birthday. It's pride. I came out all at once. I got to get it all done with. I have a PhD in psychology, organizational psychology, and I started my nonprofit organization, Trans New York, in 2018 as well. Um, so at, at Trans New York, we do counseling. We, well, forget about Trans New York for a moment. So all about me. Uh, I am a dad. Uh, my daughter still refers to me as dad, which is fine, as long as we're not like outside someplace and she yells, dad. Um, but <laughs> it's great that she calls me dad. Um, she's 22. She's great. Uh, my family is mostly great. Not everybody's great with those things. You know, it's a tough thing to happen when uh, I was 56 years old when I came out and I'm 60 now. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, and I uh, met the love. I was married for 30 years. Uh, I guess she was the love of my life back then. So I don't want to knock her. But uh, but then subsequently, I found new love uh, three years ago. And I married my new wife, who happens to be a trans woman also. So it, it's really been a remarkable run in four years between trans New York and meeting a trans woman and, and getting married. So I I'm loving my life to the fullest, as they say. I love that. And you and Nancy have an incredible, incredible story. I had the pleasure of meeting you at TPM. And if you're not following Jen, you need to go and follow follow Jen, learn about Trans New York, and learn about all about their, their journey, because it's pretty incredible what you and your wife, Nancy, have, have sort of been through and what that journey looks like. So appreciate you for being here again. Clarcia, hello, welcome to the show. Tell us who you are, what you do, how you identify. Hi, my name is Clarice Christie. I am a trade geek. I love trade. I am, um, I identify, she, my pronouns are she, her, and I love uh, photography. I love uh, anything that has to do with international trade, getting my clients' um, products on stage, on supermarket shelf, wherever they need to be in another country. Um, I'm really happy to be here to, um, you know, learn from others what's happening, uh, learn from others' experiences, but also share mine. So I look forward to our conversation. Awesome. And how do you identify? Oh, she, her. She, her. Awesome. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm bombastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and you're Canadian, right? Yes, yes, yes. I'm Canadian, Jamaican Canadian. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. Brianne, now it's your turn. Hello. Yes. So I'm Brianne Richards. Uh, I identify as a Caucasian uh, female. Um, I'm gay. I'm 29 years old. I also recently only just came out within the pandemic years um, as well, which was a bit of an unfortunate thing, but I able was, was able to turn it around, I guess, um, to kind of be my own story of how I came out. So in short, I was outed at my work. Um, so that's how a few people ended up finding out. Yeah, I never told you, Sarah, but yeah, um, someone had outed me to a few people that I had worked with um, after I had only ever told one person, um, in my life. And, uh, so, you know, that kind of 
was tough for me. Um, not all my family um, is also super accepting and it's a newer concept. So they've been great with me though, um, at least, but you know, I started with getting a Minnie Mouse tattoo. I love Disney. Something is about me. So it has the pride rainbow color on it. Yeah. I have pride hair now, rainbow hair. And, you know, I kind of just made it my own thing. But yeah, and, and my pronouns are she and her. I love that. And I love the fact that you are very proud of it, even though, you know, it was a moment in time that was not of your doing, right? You didn't really have that control over it and how you wanted that to look like and what you wanted that to do. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I think that, you know, too many times we hear some of these stories and it's kind of like, it's nobody else's business. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's exactly it. And it was a moment of time. So it had happened right before the pandemic. And I was able to use that kind of pandemic to just, you know, this is my life and I want to live it how I want to live it. And I didn't want to kind of hide the truth anymore. So to speak, I wanted to live out loud my own story. So I Mm -hmm. kind of twisted that to kind of be that way. So exactly. And, you know, we live in each moment. So how do you want the next moment to be? One moment happened, move on to the next. Yeah. I love that. And thank you for sharing your story. All right. So let's kick this off. What is tokenism anyways? What does that word actually mean? And I think it means a variety of different things to a variety of different people. But I think what we want to do today is find out from each of you what it actually means. So Jen, I'm sure you have some sort of definition um, for this word that I'd like you to start us off with. And then I'll go to Clarcia and Brianne to give their perspectives as well. Well, I mean, just keeping it real simple, I mean, tokenism is is really just uh, doing something in a symbolic, you know, nature, just choosing, like, for example, I'll use myself, for example, Um, you know, during uh, Transgender Day of Visibility, I get emails and calls all the time um, about, you know, having me come speak. And, um, you know, it's just for that day. And, you know, I'm I'm transgender 365 days a year, right? 24 hours a day. I don't get a day off, nor do I want one. So I think you know, to- and tokenism to me also, it's uh, it's kind of like an unfortunate word too, because what happens is, I think that you know, for myself personally, when I came into the community, which is only four years ago, and you know, I grew up in a in a middle class, all white neighborhood. All, it's still white. It's never seen anything like it. Um, and then, you know, I, I understand my privilege or the privilege I've, I've had, but it's been a real learning process for me. I learned that. I think I told you I teach sociology. That really helped me also, you know, becoming a woman. That was one peg down. Being a trans woman has two. And then uh, uh, being a queer woman, there's three pegs down. But um, But also, I think within you know, our own community, the LGBTQ, you know, sometimes it's very difficult for us to get together. Um, And people fear that, like, I have feared that I didn't want to be seen as doing something as being tokenism. And it's hard to sort of break down those barriers on, on, on everybody's side. It doesn't matter whether somebody's trans and somebody's gay or somebody's white, somebody's black. It's very difficult to be part of you know, I guess your community and then want to be part of all community yeah. without feeling like, you know, like I'm not being true, you know? And I think that <laughs> I think that when you're true, hopefully, and, and it takes a long time for people really to trust that I talk about this all the time in the LGBT community, because particularly being trans is so few of us, we need all the allies we can we can have. Just not yeah. with LGBTQ, but immigrants, uh, people of color, everybody. And it's hard to break down that those walls of not only people coming to me and using tokenism on me, but me not wanting to feel like I'm projecting tokenism onto somebody else. Yeah, that's so true, right? Because you can be put in one box, but then you also don't want to p- be the person putting other people in boxes too. And so it's a it's a really fine line. And that's why I'm kind of glad that we're talking about today. Uh, Clarcia, what do you think, like, what does tokenism kind of mean to you? Tokenism to me <laughs> means being included, but not being included. 
Oh, and that sounds like a roundabout way, but it's really about uh, being in spaces, different space, getting included in spaces only because someone wants to take off a box to say right. that this person is included. However, you're there more, in some instances, you're there as a figurehead. In some instances, you may be allowed to speak or may be allowed to participate. And as Dr. Jen said earlier, you know, you get back history month, all of a, excuse me, <clears throat> all of a sudden you're relevant, right? And after Black History Month, no one calls you, even though you, you, you have your own profession, international trade, where you can be called to be a part of panels, you know, deliver a speech, talk about your research, you know, but that, that doesn't happen after, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I've had the opportunity to speak at um, MC at different places, and um, I'm only asked it because of, of course, the color of my skin to make sure that, you know, everyone is included. And afterwards, you know, even the CEO of the company don't even remember who I am. Or even the person who was given my name don't even remember who I am. Mix me up with another person of color, right? So it's it's, it's interesting um, that there are, I look at it um, in an area of reactive versus proactive. There are some companies or organizations that proactively seek out um, some um, persons from different groups to be in their space because they know that they will be criticized. They may have been criticized in the past mm -hmm. and they know that uh, not a um, event is coming up or, you know, the board is, is all white or the board is all, all male. Right. Mm -hmm. And they will include a woman just because, you know, um, we got this complaint, you know, right. we're all white. Um, let us bring in um, a woman or we're all male, let's just bring in a woman, right? And then, oh, you could just take the minutes. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Then, again, then these gender roles come into play, right? Yeah. It, 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 is, it, is, it is interesting to watch. And then there are the, the ones who are reactive, who say, oh, but we do have a volunteer who is Chinese, yeah. or we do have a volunteer who is this. Mm -hmm. But that volunteer will always stay a volunteer and never, never get invited to be on the board never get invited to be, play another role, you know, in, 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 in the organization. So for me, to, and, and there are instances where tokenism occur and people are able to parlate into something else and away from that space, but use the experience to get higher. And, and that can happen also. Hmm. So for me, that's it. <laughs> Is no, I love that. Yeah. And it's very interesting. And it's funny that you bring up, not funny, haha, but just funny that you bring up sort of the venture capital space and uh -huh. sort of the boards of companies, right? Because I know <laughs> as a female that was trying to get funding for my tech company, I had a very, very, very hard time. And I've just sold that brand and they're going to be able to get money a lot <laughs> easier than I was. Yeah. And their board is going to be mostly, you know, because the venture capital world is, is, is white male. Right. And, mm -hmm. but I've heard from a couple of founders where they're like, no, you need to find a woman for your board. And so now they're actively trying to find that, you know, specific woman in a specific role to be able to join. And it's kind of like, guys, like, let's not do this. Right. Yeah. Because that woman doesn't want to be that woman. Exactly. Right? So Brianne, yeah. what does tokenism mean to you? Yeah. Kind of <laughs> going off of what was already said as well, like I agree, it's it's very much um, a box that is just being checked. And I love that saying where you're included without being included because, yeah. you know, included and invited to the table, but they just want you to sit pretty and just kind of be present. Um, and I find a lot of companies, you know, have a lot of momentum, you know, in May coming into June and about talking about all the things that they do, but it stops and ends the first of the month and the end of the month and same with February. Um, as well as having a lot of the quote unquote diversity in a guest facing position. But the higher you go, you can go so high. And once it stops being something that the public will see very often, you slowly start, stop seeing that trickling, you know, it trickles up into a lot more of that white male only um, in a lot of organizations. And that's kind of tough to see because at the end of the day, the decisions are still coming from the same group. And it's affecting the people who are all in these positions further down the line of the company who are there just to be shown. And yeah. it's hard to see. And 
you hate just seeing all these inclusion talks, but it, it, like I said, it starts and ends around one point of the year and it should be a 365 conversation. Yeah. And you're suppressing innovation now. Like I know you guys have talked about how, you know, 30 days we've got like a month for all sorts of different diversity, um, you know, from pride to black history month and things like that. Indigenous and, month. and mm-hmm. sorry. Oh, today's just a day. Indigenous Day. Sorry, my apologies. Indigenous Indigenous Day, Day. which really should be a month, which really should be 365 like everybody else. And so how do you actually feel about those months? Do they, I mean, because some people really like the fact that there's a month dedicated. We're talking about it all the time. But then to Jen's point or Dr. Jen's point, what happens after that? And I've had some guests on the show come on and talk about how they get you know, when um, George Floyd happened, they had all sorts of people coming to them and being like, yes, we want to give you money and we want to give you this. And they were large dollars amounts. And then three months later, they were nowhere to be found and those donations weren't, weren't done. And so how do we, because companies right now we're in Pride Month and companies are embracing it. It's all over retail stores, their windows, right? You're seeing it everywhere. Well, what happens at the end of June? And how do we make it inclusive or how do we make it accepted 365 days a year instead of just inclusive for 30 days? Jen? Well, I think we, first we have to look at the 30 days. And the 30 days, and it's wonderful that they have their pride signs out and their balloons and everything else. But that doesn't mean that they're really doing anything inclusive. I mean, you know, that's that's you know, not investing in inclusivity, right? I mean, anybody can hang a sign outside right. for two weeks. What is the company actually doing? Are they investing in LGBTQ uh, inclusion training? Or what we do, we, we do transgender, gender diverse inclusion training. Um, I think when she was speaking before, um, you know, it's interesting with speaking engagements, I constantly get contacted for speaking engagements, but then they don't want to pay me. It's right. like, wait a minute, I go to your store, I don't get anything for free. So how do you come to my intellectual capital and you don't want to pay me or you want to chew me down on something, you know, in terms of, of what? So I think, you know, I think companies really have to start to, you know, they really have to start to understand that, like it or not, the world is changing and it's changing fast. In Generation Z, I talk about this all the time in sociology, you know, almost 10% of Gen Z's identify as uh, queer. So you're talking like, you know, there is a tidal wave coming and they have sledgehammers in their hands, these kids. That's why I love them so much. And they will not back down. When I came out, all I wanted to do was like Jen, just a little bit. You know, these Gen Zers, what I love about them is they expect you to know everything about them and be inclusive. And if you are not, they're going someplace else. Uh That's their belief. And it doesn't matter whether they identify as queer or not, because the entire generation thinks about their identity. Their identity is the most important thing in the world to them. And if they feel a company is not treating just not only them, right, or others uh, in, in a wrong manner, they are not going to go work for them and they're not going to buy their products either. So I think, you know, a big awakening is about to happen. So if you really want to know, they've got to make investments, real investments. And what we're just discussing, tokenism, right? Calling in, you know, token trans person, token uh, black person, token, token woman, token whomever, you know, really make an effort uh, and some companies do, but frankly, you know, it's one to two percent. Yeah, that's the reality of it, you know. And you know, I I, I don't want to knock supplier diversity, but I was just listening to a CEO speak the other day, and we've got to move the whole thing into you know diversity. You know, it's just not supplier diversity; it should be diversity and inclusion in a whole. Mm-hmm. That, that's my view on it. 
No, that's perfect. And like, I want to ask Brianne, and I know you've been, you were nodding as well, Clarcy, and I'll get to you in just a second. But Brianne, like, if it's not the 30 days and it's 365 and we don't want them to check the boxes, what are yeah. we expecting from these companies? Do we want them to produce stats and numbers on a yearly basis? Because I don't think that's the answer either. What do we want to hear from these companies uh, like a coach, like a Michael Coors, the retail companies or companies in general, not just see the rainbow flags on their products for 30 days. What do yeah. we want to see from them? What is it that we want to see for them to just not be checking a box and just it, it for it not to be tokenism? Yeah. So yeah, there's needs to be a lot more accountability, um, just to be frank all year round. Um, a lot of times it's it's big in the moment and then they'll use a distraction to try to make you forget and move on to a different company or whatever the case is. But we don't need rainbow washing only. We don't need just the rainbow signs on the on the cans, on the this or the that and the signs just to show that. Why don't you have stuff like that all year round? You're only going to have it in June. Like it's something that you know is popular. You know, you can market it to people if that's the case. But what else are you doing besides just putting a rainbow on it? What are you doing as a company? What are you you showcasing? What are you bringing to the table all year round? And that's not just, yeah, giving out your stats, not just showing, oh, well, look, I hired somebody. What are you as a company doing to donate? Because if you're donating to anti-LGBTQ, for example, if we're talking about that, organizations, things that are trying to tear down the community, and then you're putting a rainbow out front your store. Uh-huh. It's very conflicting messages. So which which is it? You can't you can't be talking to both parties because they're very different and they definitely don't agree. Well, and I think that brings up a good point. Like, what are you doing? It's not about the number of people. It's mm-hmm. about what are you physically doing to change minds, to change hearts and minds um, and educate. Right. It's like what Dr. Jen said. Are you paying for people to come in and help educate and really, you know, um, and create an inclusive or an acceptant, uh, accepted kind of environment. Yeah. Right? And, and, and too, sorry to, if I was going off there, I have seen a lot of um, companies kind of putting out um, what they call inclusion committees now. Um, but the problem is, is that the committees aren't always super diverse because they're asking for you to volunteer your time after you put in all of this work for the company. And right. then, make the company more inclusive, usually from the people who are not being included to begin with. So it's, you're just asking people to do more work just to be invited somewhere. And it just doesn't make sense. So that also needs to be something that they really need to look at, you know, deeply and figure out, are you going to pay them for their time? Or are you going to pay them extra as a bonus? They don't need to give more of their free time just so that they feel sort of welcome. Well, and you can look good as an organization. You can look good. Yeah, exactly. So that they look better and you still don't really feel fit. Yeah. Like just feel like you're supposed to kind of sit in the back corner and come out when they tell you to. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point because a lot of people like diversity and inclusion, they have a, they have a, you know, a seat at the table, but at the end of the day, it's, and it's just so messed up. Claire Sia, you are nodding your head and all sorts of stuff. I know you want to get in here. You know, the, the thing that I, I want to just get back, you know, we, talk, we started the 30 days for different um, visible minorities and a, a term I really don't like. <laughs> um, but, you know, what we're talking about is short-termism, right? It's only for short-term that companies um, will be celebrating these different months or these days, right? It's not a part of their culture. So what we want to see... If it, so taking it at the company level, at the corporate level, um, it, it, it's, it's that old adage or old quote, you walk the talk, right? If you're going to say, oh, we're diverse or we're going to be doing something for Black History Month, going to be doing for um, um, Pride Month, we're going to be doing something for um, Women's Month and all of that, then we have to, the companies have to have that as part of their own value system, mm-hmm. part of their business norms, mm-hmm. part of their policy, their hiring policy the way they treat people in, in the, the workplace, right? The ethics, all of that has to be part of that company, that those organizations that are celebrating these in short term. So they would have to step up their ante and, and move it beyond having just committees, but actually have action plans that actually let 
these different groups that they have always been token become a part of the the corporate culture, the, the community. You know that has to be there. Not um. And again, I mean, I like I, I like to harp on these rules, but okay, sure. The 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 you bring all um different people to to spaces, and then oh. Oh, you should know how to fix a computer. You're Asian. Or, oh, you should know how to flip burgers. You're this and that. That kind of stuff. You cannot do, you cannot stereotype people because we all have skills. We spoke about, um, sorry, you mentioned in losing innovation, right? Mm-hmm. With tokenism, when you bring people in because you want to tick a box, you forget about their other skills, that skill sets that they have. What else do they bring to the table mm-hmm. that can be used? to fulfill your own company's strategic objectives. So that's the other way to look at it, right? Because people are coming in with skills that may be able to solve a problem that you may have internally. You just want them to come and and tick a box and and speak on a day, but there's a possibility that they could be a consultant to solve a problem that you have or help you build on on um, an opportunity that is there. Yeah. At the macro level in the space, yes, we get 30 days, but what are we as a community doing to amplify it so it's beyond the 30 days, right? How are we lobbying our governments, our companies, the different organizations that are in the ecosystem that can either get you um, a speaking role, get you to build your business, get you a corporate job, get you to be an ambassador, I'm just calling out things, but what are we doing to... To, to lobby to get us into space to take up space bring our bring bring it bring a chair up to the table so to speak yeah. as um, salon said right yeah Seat at the table right so those are the kind of things we also as a community have to look how can we go beyond tokenism and make us be a norm yeah well and celebrating not asking them to do more work like Brienne mm-hmm. just said yes. actually taking the time to celebrate that culture or whatever that looks like that, you know, underrepresented community, yes. how do we celebrate them and I really, successes. and we and put our work into that to make, to celebrate them, make them feel special. And you know what? It's not just 30 days and it's, we're not asking you to do it every single day, but at the same time, we want to feel celebrated. We want to feel heard. We want to, everybody wants to have that. And we also have a lot of skills to bring to the table, right? And we want to be able to be um, seen for that, right? It's really all about being heard and celebrated and seen. Have any of you um, experienced tokenism? Do you have one example that you could maybe share that maybe happened to you um, that maybe somebody else can resonate with? And how did you sort of handle that? Because I think that's the other side of the coin is that you know, it's one thing for workplaces and organizations and companies to really take note of tokenism and how they are contributing to that. But then it's also about how do we handle that in that moment when it sort of happens? And what does it look like? Because there could be people out there that do it without even realizing that that's what they're doing, right? There's a lot of different things that we have to, you know, really pay attention to and focus on and things like that. Clarcia, do you have an example that you can share? It's so funny because when I was um, preparing myself for this, I I was thinking that maybe there are some, it has occurred to me and I've not been mindful of it, right? But I I was thinking and I remembered one, in one instance, and I think it it was just like, I wasn't even paying attention. Um, Someone asked me if I could be part of their team photo. Not hired, not um, a member of staff. But they were going into a space where their all white staff would not um, be, they would be frowned upon if someone like I say, you don't have a diverse team. Wow. And I was like, okay, because I was doing a project for them and I was getting paid and I wasn't even paying attention. And then after I rec- realized that it is because they don't have diversity on their team, they did not have, it was all white. And there were two other persons who, was, who were working on the project along with me who were white. And it dawned on me when, and they were out of the city, right? And it dawned on me when they showed a group picture of the staff at an event, and I was the only one who was not there. And the other two ladies who were working on a project, the run staff, were also there. And I was like, 
wow, then it hit me really hard. And I was like, this is not right, you know? And, you know, I didn't do anything about it. I, I was in a, a space too that was, um, I had just lost my mom too. So I was like on um, like autopilot. Yes. Kind of like. mm-hmm. And even though I recognized it, I was just like not taking on anything. I was just surviving rather than thriving. But in the, and I was like, oh my God. And then people started calling me to ask me for work for this company because it was in a space that I used to work in. Oh. And I was like, I had to be truthful. I was like, no, I don't. I don't get a salary. I just worked on a project. And, you know, and and they were like, well, she's down here doing this and saying this. And I was like, okay, you know, and um, we're going to work with her because of you. And I said, well, I'm not a staff. And if you want to work with her, make that decision be based on what they're bringing and not necessarily on my picture. Right. How? And that, that was tokenism. Yeah. Blatant. Yes. On your face. And how did it, how did it make you feel like what was sort of the repercussions from a, from a mental health standpoint for you? Because I I mean, those are instances where, you know, like you said, you were already in a space where, you know, your head wasn't really there because you were grieving and you were already going through things on your own. And to have that on top of it, I mean, you know, what an awful thing to experience. It made me feel bad and, and I felt like I was doing an injustice to my race. You know, that's how mm. I felt. Right. And um, I think years after I was like, could you take my photo down? That's it. Yeah. You know, that was it. And um, nothing else. I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't address the issue or anything like that. I just asked for it to be taken down. Well, good for you to have the courage to be able yeah. to ask them to take it down, no matter when it was. It doesn't matter if it was the day after, two years yeah. later. I mean, there's a lot of things that each one of us has to work through, especially in situations like that, you know, yeah. and, you know, dep- also depending on what headspace you're in. But like that could that could be very different for a lot of different people. You are a strong woman. And for you to be able to get through that and to be able to ask them to take it down and even to be yeah. here today sharing your story authentically because other people can learn from that. I mean, that takes courage. And yeah. for some other people, that could devastate them. You know, they could have imposter syndrome for the rest of their lives where they're constantly second guessing themselves. And this is why we have and share these these stories on this particular podcast, because this is what it's like, people. You know, when you ask that question of having you in that that photo, they yeah. didn't think about what it meant to you. For me, no. And we about- have to. We have to think about it in different ways. And we have to think as uh, people as human. Dr. Jen. Well, you know, I had one recently and it was, I was with somebody. So it was kind of, it was a speaking, I run a speaking engagement thing. So we have a speakers bureau at Trans New York. And I was, uh, a company wrote to me and asked uh, if we had a person of color who was of trans experience, could they come and do a speaking engagement? So I said, we do. We have somebody on our board, Tabitha. She's a wonderful person. And um, but before we went, you know, even got on the call, they already told us what they were willing to pay for the speaking engagement. Okay. So they already told us. I was like, okay, this is great. I went to Tabitha. I told Tabitha. We both came on the call and we're on the call for a couple of minutes. And with this uh, diversity inclusion person, she says, Tabitha says to her, it sounds like we're not the keynote speaker. So she says, oh, no, you know, the, things got changed. So you're not going to be the keynote speaker. So we're like, OK, well, that, that, that's fine. We just want to know what we're talking about. And uh, and we said, well, OK, so we're still going to get the fee of. And um, she's like, no, you know, we're going to have to renegotiate. And we're like, you know, I was like, it's the first time it's ever happened to me. Where Mm -hmm. someone said that they would, you know, it's one thing if you want to negotiate ahead of time, but we already agreed. And Tabitha, you know, who, you know, I said intellectual capital before, and I'm borrowing that from Tabitha because she went right at, you know, I mean, I was like, I've never done that with someone, but she went right to them. And she was like, listen, you come to us. And you tell us we're going to get paid X amount of dollars. Now you want to pay half. 
you know, I'm a black trans woman of experience. And this is what I get every day of my life. And this is really horrible that you're doing this, you know, and I tried to sort of, because I'm a, trying to make things calm, but she, she was right, you know. Anyway, at the end of the day, what, what occurred was, uh, you know, the, the people came back to us and said they went with somebody else. And that was, you know, it was really a, it was really a terrible experience. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I got to have it through another speaking engagement for someplace else. But, you know, to have that sort of a speaking engagement and for me to be on the call, you know, as I said, I, I realized that I have privilege and that rarely ever happened to me. But to have Tabitha sort of stand up for herself, it was like so empowering to me because it's mm. not something I would ever do. But also it taught me about something that I don't experience as often as someone like Tabitha. You know, Tabitha's out there all the time. And, you know, I talk about this a lot. You know, when you when you are discriminated against all the time, after a while, you know, you, it's very difficult to tolerate and it's very difficult to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's hard. You know, Tabitha was, I thought Tabitha was gracious, but she was upfront with them about their behavior. And honestly, they're a very large commercial real estate firm in New York City. I was completely shell-shocked that you know, they came back to us and said that they didn't want to uh, have the uh, speaking engagement, that they went with somebody else. And I, you know, honestly, I think, it, you know, I don't think it was just about the money, to be frank with you. I think it's really because Tabitha spoke up and, and they looked at they looked at that. I'm sorry to say, but they looked at that as, you know, you know, the stereotype of black people being angry. And she was not angry. It was just com- she was completely within her right. And she was just telling them up front about what their behavior was. Yeah. And it was just, it was really uncalled for. And, you know, it makes me want to cry when I think of that day. It was just, yeah. it was, yeah. and it was only about a month ago. It was, it was just about a month ago it happened. There, there, just, I just want to say, because there are times where certain people in society do not believe Black, Asian, trans, different people have a right to speak up for themselves. They don't think you have a right to get justice or to seek justice on your own behalf. You know, Mm -hmm. um, there are times talking about tokenism. Sometimes you're invited to speak at events and um, you speak and then afterward they're like, oh my God, you were so good. And it wasn't like, you were so good. It was like, it's unbelievable that you were so good. You know? So, and, and, and that is a socialization too, right? So the two sides of the coins, right? There, I'm going back to tokenism, you know, we, we will do tokenism and it's okay. The short termism we'll do it every year at the same time. But the, 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 the group of people that we're using as our pawns to tick the boxes will never, ever be a part of our group. We'll never be included because this is how we're socialized. They stay out there. We stay here. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And thank you so much, um, Dr. Jen, for for sharing that particular story. I think a couple of things that came out of that for me was, A, the organizations really need to put their money where their mouth is. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to post the rainbow flags or do Black History Month or whatever that is for, you know, those 30 days, and then you come to an organization like Trans New York and ask for a particular person to come and speak at your event, you need to put your money where your mouth is. And honestly, just to say, you know, the money is, is you know, it's crumbs to a company like that. And that, yeah. that's unfortunate with people who, you know, and, you know, I'm learning this. When you're on the, the bottom, when people view you on the bottom, that's mm-hmm. what you get. You get the crumbs. Yeah. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah. Well, and the other the other part of that conversation is that they were banking on you not saying anything. Yeah. And I think we need to be more vocal about what actually goes on. So that mm-hmm. company could, you know, all this month be about pride and da 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 But what they don't know or what the what the public doesn't see or the people that they work with or the people that work for them or the vendors that they work with 
don't know that this conversation has happened and what transpired. And Mm -hmm. that is why we need to keep speaking up. And I know that it's tiring. Mm -hmm. I know that it takes courage. And I know that there's a lot of anxiety around that. But think about the power in speaking up about that particular incident and letting people know what actually happened. One last thing. So when Tabitha, you know, said it to her, she's like, well, you know, we all had to take a cut. It's like, wait a minute. We don't have to take a cut ever. You know, like we'll tell you, we'll decide in our organization when we want to take a cut. You can decide in your organization when you want to take a cut. Yeah. And usually a lot of the cuts happen around diversity. A lot of the layoffs are diverse hires, and a lot of the cuts are with supplier diversity or diversity and inclusion initiatives. They won't tell you that. They'll be like, oh, the levels are still the same, but they'll actually look at those particular places to cut, and that needs to stop. And the only way we can we can really stop that is by talking about it. Brianne, do you have a story that you want to share with us? Um, I, I had one from a prior... Um, job where uh, I'd applied for a position. Um, There was uh, about five opportunities in various locations for it. Um, Four out of the five were filled. One of the locations had a male and a female apply for it. I was the female, another male applied. Uh, They were the only male picked and the rest of them were female. So then they gave me the position to go do it at one of the locations I applied to but they didn't pay me or give me the title. So a lot of the times, yeah, I've been in positions like that where I've been, they know where I want to get to. They know how hard I want to work. Um, but they also know that if you're, if you're that kind of keen person, you want to learn as much as you can and do what you can, they know where they can kind of put that. So I did the same job as everyone else. Um, but I didn't get the title or the pay for it. Um, which is unfortunate and it, and it sucks. And you know, you want to keep working up and just being told, sorry, nothing for you to work on. You're doing everything you can. It sucks. And then you just know that you just basically are waiting until you're the last straw picked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's your fault. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, well, what else, what are you supposed to do? How else are you supposed to be working on it? Like you don't want to be taken advantage of, but you also want to be set up to be ready for the position or whatever the case is, you know, to be at that engagement, you want to have all the knowledge that you can, but you also can't be taken advantage of. Yeah. So it's, you, want to, you want to be set up for success, right? You don't want to be set up for failure, regardless of who you are and whether, you know, there's tokenism at play or not at play or whatever that is. And I think, you know, it really comes down to leadership And I was just recently at an event where Heather McGowan um, spoke. She's from the LGBTQIA plus community. And uh, she's one of the top 50 influencers, I think, on LinkedIn for leadership. And she spoke about the different generations. And she spoke about what Gen Z has seen in their lifetime. She spoke about the baby boomers and what they've seen. She's spoken about millennials and Gen X and what they've seen. And it's interesting when you think about who you're leading and how you're leading and the things that you're saying and the perspectives that you bring to the table, the the perspectives that you're expecting from other people in different generations. And it's so vastly different, but you have to realize how they grew up and what that looked like and how how they see the world. I mean, I think one of the things that she said was Gen Zers have not known a world without war. Think about that. They have not known a world about without war, and they've grown up with an iPad in their hand, with accessible information at their fingertips. Whereas baby boomers, I think were after the war and haven't really seen war until they were older, right? September 11th happened when they were older. And um, really, they just saw some inflation throughout their lifetime. So those are very, very different perspectives and how people think about things. And I think it really comes down to leaders and how much effort they're putting into really understanding diversity, diverse groups of people and what they've seen, what they've experienced, what that looks like. And it really takes a special person to be that leader. But that's what you need to really lead an organization that is successful in diversity and inclusion, in my opinion. 
and that leaves tokenism at the door. Anybody? I, you know, as as I listen to you, I just I, I remember something I experienced uh, or observed because you talk about the different generations, and 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 I I think I mentioned earlier about how people socialize to think of different people in society, and there was an instance where we were in this in a specific space, and we had boomers, Gen Z. I don't remember where I am. Um, you know, the different generations in one, but the millennials were there also. And we were doing some lobbying. And there was an older gentleman, white man, with gray hair and thing. And they were talking about, you know, the sexism and thing in um, with, with, with certain groups of people. And you know, the young ladies were afraid to go and talk to certain groups of people. And so this gentleman, poor, poor <laughs> baby boomer said, well, He's being strategic because that's how his brain works. You know, from that age, everything is, how can we make, how can we solve this problem strategically? So he said, well, instead of you going and speaking to these, the young lady is going and speaking with these um, men who they're uncomfortable with. Why don't a white man, male, that they will welcome easily go and put um, or ask before them? The millennial who were complaining about these people were livid saying that he's not listening to them. Uh-huh. But what he what he did not do was acknowledge, he did acknowledge that they're uncomfortable with him, but they wanted more acknowledgement about the situation and more of going and like asking all those men, which he didn't have the power to do. Uh-huh. So it was very interesting to which look at the two groups, you know, try to speak to each other, right? So... Uh-huh. I think they they felt like he was, well, they did feel like he was putting them down and some of them marched out of the room in anger. And it's really interesting to see the different group of their interact because that too is part of the tokenism issue. Because we have people in the C-suite who are of a generation that are still sitting there, not allowing anyone to come up because Mm -hmm. of their money influence and their family names, right? And they have these values that visible minorities need to be down there. They need to be the cleaner. They need to be the one who's um, washing the car. They need to be the one doing all of this. And when a brilliant one comes and they're like, oh my God, you, you, you went to where? I went to Harvard too. How dare you go to Harvard? Mm. Right? And yeah. that person, they, will, they may use that person as a token, but he, may, may never, he or she may never be included. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting how, how those conversations happen. And um, one of the other things, like it was, it was a great uh, keynote. She did an awesome job, and I'm hoping to have her on Blended. Um, and the other thing that she said was that Gen Zers have a lot of anxiety. COVID mm. was kind of the last straw for them. Okay, I teach them, and they and, do. Yeah, and so when when you talk about anxiety and you talk about them not feeling on the not feeling comfortable. And it's, it's not about solving for the situation. It's about getting to the root cause of that and how do we find a solution that works for everybody, right? And not just coming with that solution that you were talking about. Jen, I know you came off mute. Well, I was just thinking before, you know, in the corporate spaces and, and really all over, everything really comes back down to one thing and it's about education, right? So yeah. education, you know, is, is the foundation that brings about uh, understanding, right? And then yeah. from there, we gain acceptance. But there's a lot in between there. That's a lot of, you know, that little pyramid is a lot of work, you know? And as far as Gen Z's, because I, you know, I, I teach them at John Jay University. I, I've been reading all these articles about them. I have, a, my daughter is 22, but uh, she's my daughter. She'll share with me what she can, you know, I'm her dad. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't get all of it, but... Um, I mean, I can understand their anxiety. I mean, I grew up in a world where there was no internet. I mean, I had to look for information in an encyclopedia. Or a map book. We actually had to find where we were going using a map book. I did. (laughs) I mean, you didn't even have that. So, but just imagine what it's like. And I tell my friends, you know, I say, you know, you know why you don't understand in generations? Because I'm sorry to say, but they're better informed than you are. They're much better informed than 
than somebody my age is. And I, I do a heck of a lot of reading and research, but I'm not, you know, I didn't grow up on this, this telephone, you know, these cell phones. I mean, they did. Yeah. So they have access to information. They can disseminate it quickly. Quickly. Mm-hmm. Quickly. I mean, my daughter does three things at one. I'm like, she buttons at least she's got the phone and she's doing her schoolwork. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, who does that? I love that. And I think there's an acknowledgement here as well is that ageism is a part of diversity and inclusion too. And I think really a lot of these conversations that I have really come down to grace and leaning into understand instead of lean, instead of answering to solve a problem, right? Because not everybody wants to necessarily fix the problem in that instant and not every problem or issue or challenge can be solved in an instant, but we do want commitment to time. We want commitment mm-hmm. to education. We want commitment to time. We want commitment to understanding. And I think that's really all we can really ask of each other um, on both sides, right? It's not one side versus the other. It's really a collective whole and how we treat each other as human beings and things like that. All right. So I'm going to wind down this conversation. I have loved, loved, loved. So I have two things to ask of each of you. One is... Um, what is the one thing that you think that, you know, corporations or individuals or people can do so that we can maybe move the needle a little bit more forward on tokenism so that it, we can't eradicate it maybe necessarily completely, but we can at least move it forward, um, to closer to eradication. And number two, what would you like everybody to leave this conversation with either a thought, an action, or, you know, something that they can, a resource maybe that they can tap into. Claire, see, I'm going to start with you. So for the corporation, um, in a corporate space, I will go back to what I said previously. Make it be a policy, part of your policy, right? Not to discriminate in your hiring practice. Not to discriminate when um, you're promoting within. Not to discriminate when you have any events, you know, to, to, to just choose someone and um, have them <clears throat> make them feel so great because they're part of a panel. They're, you know, doing, doing the most for you, your organization. And then after that has ended, they're back at their desk in the back room and <laughs> nobody comes to see how they are. But the biggest part of it is to make it become part of the organization's culture. Mm-hmm. And how you do that? Going back to what Dr. Chen spoke about education, you know, having that knowledge and having the mindfulness to adapt a bit out of your own comfort zone or out of your own um, space of um, privilege, of whiteness, of um, whatever else that gives you an extra leg up or extra rung up the ladder. How can you adapt to allow not just diversity, but inclusion, right? Acceptance, um, yeah. Acceptance, you know, of, uh, of, of, of the others, of the people who you refer to as visible minorities, mm-hmm. you know, how they become a part. Because, because we've seen a lot of um, <clears throat> high-profile um, people of color rise, and then as soon as they rise, they're gone because some, some clash of um, ideology, some clash of values, some clash of, of, um, of, of some others or someone else is just like, why did they get hired over my, my aunt, uncle, brother, who has how many shares or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Or something is stuck there for, um, <clears throat> for, how do you call it? Someone put something, a spoke in their wheel that caused, right. caused them to, 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 to go, um, have to move or not be happy or not be comfortable anymore, you know? Yeah. And just before you get there, I think that education piece, I think what we need to talk about is the investment, not just in books or online resources or things like that, but investment in people and individuals who can bring real world experience and knowledge to the table to yeah. talk about what that, what that actually feels like. Yes. What it actually means to somebody as a human being, because a book can't do that. Invest in people Mm -hmm. and bring them to the table to educate and have that conversation. 
So I would say, you know, one thing that I would leave behind is, you know, a lot of us have been socialized a certain way and we have to live in society and be accepted, um, accepted and also accept others. So I think we ourselves have to look internally at what is it that we have that gives us this sense of, um, you know, being, how do, how do I say this? <laughs> you know, be, like self-worth, right? <clears throat> but it's kind of like a self-worth, you know, um, but, you know, don't think of yourself so highly that you look down on others, right? But invest in yourself to see where are those blockages that won't allow you to include others into your space, mm-hmm. right? That's what I'm talking about, right? Not being so um, bougie Close. or turning nose up at, at certain right. people in society, right? So invest in your own <clears throat> internal self. What is blocking that? And also be more mindful of others. Yeah. Think of people, people's humanity and look at your own humanity. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Is it dark? Is it open? Is it closed? Mm-hmm. What what is it that stops you from embracing and including another person, another person who's not like you into yeah. your space? And what do you want that <laughs> legacy to look like? I love that. That's so yeah. many good takeaways. Thank you so much, Clarcia. Brianne. Hello. Um, so yeah, like for me, for like corporations, businesses out there, what I would love to see is kind of what we talked about throughout this whole um, chat is, you know, more accountability, more showcasing year round, um, understanding that everyone, whether it's, you know, um, for pride, whether it's for black history month, that it's not just a a box that everyone fits into it. So for pride specifically, not everybody is going to walk around in rainbows all day, every day. So you need to be thinking about everyone as an individual and as a unique, and don't just try to say that you're inclusive because you did this one thing for, whether it's part of the community or whether it is everybody, it doesn't matter. Like you need to do more than just one thing to call yourself inclusive as well as don't just listen so that you can respond to people. You need to listen to hear, you need to listen to hear what the people who are going through, you know, or in that community are going through something can hear your, they can hear your side and you can hear theirs. You need to understand them as an individual and really just don't just listen to them and respond and say, well, I did this because of this. Yeah. Okay. And so what should, what should everybody leave here with? Um, just to understand that everyone is unique. Everyone has their own experiences. Every no, it's not cookie cutter. Everyone hasn't been through the exact same world and same upbringing as you. So just because you've seen it and you think that they should do one thing doesn't mean that's possible. Yeah. Nor does mean that that's something that they've been, you know, able to experience in their life. And just everyone's individual and just have some empathy, put yourself in their shoes before you just kind of respond and come from your own background. Love that. Thank you, Jen. Dr. Jen, you have the final word. Wow. What is the answer to uh, tokenism and what should everybody leave here maybe doing or thinking about? Well, I think the big thing is, you know, the, the word we, we might have left out a little bit is just companies really need to uh, create a sense of belonging, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have belonging, you won't have tokenism. I think the other thing is, you know, we talked a lot about sort of, you know, we'll just call it the glass ceiling, right? That, you know, the people stay within their their people sort of, right? So, and I think even within corporations, you know, they're only going to reach out to large nonprofit organizations. They're not going to reach out to grassroots. And the reality is the grassroots company, and I'm not saying the large nonprofits aren't uh, good, they do great work, but it's the smaller ones that are doing like, real, real work and could really use to help. And yeah. we don't see that, you know, we see, you know, them going to the same, you know, usual companies. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate. I think that companies need to re- really reach down inside and think about who they're reaching out to, to get their diversity needs uh, met. Um, that's, I guess, what would be my final word there. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. So thank you so much to Clarcia, Jen, and Brianne for joining me today. Tokenism is a difficult subject inside the workplace and out of it, and it can be an incredibly damaging thing. But as always, there's plenty we can do if we're intentional, if we make the effort to have conversations and are open to making changes. In the workplace, ultimately, it comes back to all of those DEI strategies and best practices we've talked about on Blended before. Because you avoid tokenism, essentially forced diversity by embracing that diversity and inclusion naturally, by seeing people for their talent, not their gender or sexuality, by being open and intentional and not allowing ourselves to be led by bias. And by taking that approach, not only will you combat tokenism and encourage a richly diverse work culture, but you'll end up with a more successful business. Don't forget, you can reach out to me or any of our guests on social media if you have anything that you'd like to add to what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 23 of Blended, when we'll be diving into more thought-provoking issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality. You don't want to miss it, and I will see you then. Thank you so much to all of you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Bye. Thanks for having us.